Hello, my name is Will and you're listening to Exploding Helicopter, the only podcast in the world that celebrates helicopter explosions in film. Now, if anyone can lay claim to the title of Greatest Living Director, it's Steven Spielberg. He's won Oscars, Emmys, Golden Globes, BAFTAs, hell, he's even the proud owner of a Wise Owl Award from the Retirement Research Foundation. But despite his long and distinguished career, we'd always felt there was one glaring omission on his cinematic CV, an exploding helicopter movie. But finally, with his 24th feature film, Spielberg at last removed any remaining doubts we had about his credentials as a filmmaker, because with his 2005 film Munich, Spielberg gave us one of the most extraordinary chopper fireballs we've ever seen. To help me discuss that landmark moment and the film in general, I'm joined by a lady whose qualifications have never been called into question. With me today is Lindsay Street from French Toast Sunday. Welcome to the show, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. Before we go any further, would you like to take a moment to tell people about your own website and podcast? Truthfully, no, but everyone asks me to do this when I'm on shows, and I'm really bad at it. But I write for French Toast Sunday, and that's FrenchToastSunday.com, and the name of our podcast is the French Toast Sunday Podcast. We write about newer movies, older movies, very sort of mm, just down-to-earth, kind of what we like about stuff and, and what sometimes we bitch. But it is just a place to kind of go hang out and our show is very fly by the seat of our pants we don't do a lot of prep and we just it's uh six of us in baltimore maryland and we kind of just hang out every monday night or tuesday night or wednesday night depending on when we're free and discuss uh some top three lists and things of that nature as a warm-up for our main discussion have you seen uh, anything interesting lately that you want to point listeners towards or away from yeah uh we'll do away from So I finally got to The Human Centipede 2, which is on my Netflix queue. I saw the first one, did not enjoy it. The second one has a very different feel to it, and I'd heard mixed things about it. But mainly, the big draw is, if you don't know what's happening in Human Centipede, it's exactly as it sounds. There's a mad scientist doctor who wants to make a centipede out of people who are connected mouth to anus. So in this second iteration, the first movie exists as a movie, and a very disturbing looking parking garage attendant. And I feel very bad that like a lot of the disgusting nature of this film is the way that the main character looks. And that's a terrible thing. Like, I don't know what the casting process was like, but I can only describe this man as, as like bulbous. Like every part of him is circular. Anyway, he, he is obsessed with the film and wants to make his own centipede full sequence, like of all these different people. I don't even remember the number because it didn't seem important. It's also shot in black and white, which I sort of enjoyed. I actually thought it looked pretty nice, which is a weird thing to say. But I was hoping that this movie would be darker in the sense that it just showed like how messed up this scenario could be. In the first film, clearly, it's a messed up scenario. You know, oh, they're going to eat. Where is it going to go? That kind of thing. But it's a little silly and it's not... They didn't fully commit one way or the other in the first one to, like, the camp or the horror side of it. So this movie, I think, just wants to be as gross as possible. But the director, Tom Six, is his name. And I don't think he understands horror. Like, I don't know if he likes horror or if he doesn't like people. And that's kind of what I'm leaning towards. Because, to me, a good balance with, like, gross out... Like, gross out horror is some of my favorite. Like, body horror, specifically... Really, anything that gets me, like, cringing, you know, is usually an emotion I'm seeking out in horror. But here, it's just, it's like, a gross set piece, one after another. They're very implausible, but they're just so boring. You don't care about anything this guy's doing. There's just 
really terrible acting involved. And across the board, I just, I could not wait for the movie to end. It was not a long movie, but it felt like it. I'm intrigued by something you mentioned about the fact that the film's shot in black and white, because, you know, that's generally considered sort of commercial suicide these days. So uh, was there a particular reason you could see that they'd shot it that way? I don't know. I don't know if he was trying to create some sort of like, oh, it's so messed up, we had to do it in black and white because the color would have been too gross. Or if he was trying to give it somewhat of an art house feel, which is, I think the director fancies himself sort of smart. That sounds weird. I think he thinks he's a lot more artistic than he is. But it did look very nice. And I was curious to see, like, I think the behind the scenes have it in color. So I'd like to see, you know, how they shot it and what the settings looked like before. And do you think the uh, Human Centipede franchise has legs for a third uh, entry? I just hope not. I don't even, like, this wasn't even particularly inventive, what he decided to do with it. And it's so far off tonally from the first film that I think he just wanted to, I don't know, I think he just wanted to say, oh, well, if you were disappointed in that first one, we're going to really go balls to the walls here. But neither were impressive efforts to me. So I really hope there's not, I hope he's just going to do something else. And I can just choose not to see that. Okay, I think it's time we got stuck into Munich, so let's learn about the film's main themes through a series of artfully cut-together sound bites. Every civilization finds it necessary to negotiate compromises with its own values. We want to ask you, will you undertake a mission? You will have to leave the country and your family. I can't live with refusing this. We have 11 Palestinian names. Each had a hand in planning Munich. You're going to kill them, one by one. We deposit money into a box that doesn't exist. 200,000 for one name. Am I alone? You'll have four others. They know useful things like documents, cars, cleanup. He gets in the bed, his weight arms the device. I give the signal by switching off the light. Munich came out in 2005. It's a historical drama based on the Israeli government's retaliation for the murder of 11 of its athletes at the 1972 Munich Olympics. Eric Banner is recruited to lead a secret team of assassins who will hunt down and kill the men responsible for the massacre. But as Banner pursues the intended victims, he starts to question the purpose and morality of his mission. Munich was nominated for five Oscars. But it was also very controversial and was criticised from all sides, really, with some calling the film an apologia for state-sponsored assassination, while others felt the film failed to examine the terrorists with the same scrutiny it had used on Israel. Lindsay, this was a first-time watch for you. What did you make of Munich? Going into it, I didn't really know a whole lot about what the movie was about. I um, It was sort of on my radar, just from a Spielberg completionist standpoint and the Oscar buzz. I knew it was a political thriller, but had not reconciled what sort of um, time frame or anything it was in. As a thriller, I really enjoyed this. It's a very long film, and that would be one of my only detriments, like why I probably wouldn't watch it again very quickly. I think it's exceptionally well made. The direction, I loved the, the look of the movie, and I actually meant to look up if this was nominated for production design, but it looked beautiful. They're all around Europe in the 70s, and it was really gorgeous. But overall, I really liked the movie, separate from sort of the historical controversy. That's like a whole nother issue to tackle, but not having known that. And if I had not known 
like if I didn't read anything extra about what's going on and I separated because it is a it is a work of fiction, I guess, just tied very closely to uh, like a book and the other actual historical events. But separate from that, I thought it was very well made and actually pretty interesting. Yeah, I think I had some similar thoughts uh, on this film to yourself. I found this a bit of a, a strange beast, really, of a, of a movie. It's kind of shot as a thriller, but it isn't a thriller at all, really. It's it's a very uh, political movie, and the thriller-type aspects of the film are not really ones that you would really get your sort of pulse racing, I think. They're more... They're shot in a sort of very sort of downbeat, low-key way. The whole film's got a very sort of cold and cool and um, sort of unemotional sort of feel to it. And I think that's deliberate because Spielberg does seem to be trying to present a message with this film. And I think that he was... a, I think he was deliberately sort of trying to not let the thriller aspects of the various assassinations overtake the film and i would agree with you about the length of it and perhaps that's something we might sort of talk about a bit later but as i've alluded to this was a sort of political film really and spielberg's not really known for that in his career and in fact i'd I'd go as far to say this is perhaps the only overtly political film he's ever made i could be corrected on that but what message do you think spielberg was trying to communicate and how well do you think he achieved that with this film i thought in all it was more of a morality tale for the characters dealing with their violence as a counter violence to the terrorism of the events in Munich. And there are some obvious sort of points, especially with Eric Bana's character where he has these discussions and, and comes to terms with what they're doing. But I have to admit like those, those moments felt a little, they didn't ring false to me, but I was, I was a little bit hazy on why he was the leader exactly um, of this rag. It's not really a ragtag group, but not exactly who you would think would be in the field either. And I guess that was supposed to be a deliberate thing. So putting that aside, I was never 100 percent sure why he even like signed on for this, especially when they introduce him. He seems like pretty dang happy with his pregnant wife reassuring her like he's not going to get into any trouble. And then like in the like immediate next scene. He's just signing up to be shipped away, and she seems more cool with it than I, I didn't understand that. But okay, sorry, I'm away from the point. The morality of sort of fighting violence with violence, and when will it end? And I think that's all he was like trying to pinpoint with this conflict. And I think a lot of the controversy that came after it is just so embroiled with just the nature of this subject matter, which seems to be impossible to discuss without insane uh, you know, belief systems on each side. So do I think he was effective? I think he was effective in showing uh, sort of like an individual struggle, but I didn't, I didn't seem to think he humanized anyone too much or vice versa. Well, I think with this film, sort of Spielberg's trying to sort of do a, a couple of things. I think um, one of which you've, you've definitely um, hit the sort of nail on the head, the consequences of, of violence on individuals. And you see that, in this film with Eric Banner's character and the way in which he accepts this mission and, you know, doesn't seem to, you know, obviously apart from being separated from his wife, he doesn't necessarily seem to have a, a sort of a whole load of doubts about the kind of the, the morality or the moral rightness of, of doing this. But obviously over the course of the film, he begins to question that uh, within himself and also of his, uh, of his superiors and, and of his, uh, of his country. Um, but, you know, I think there's also, you know, I thought there was also sort of a, an interesting point here that Spielberg seemed to be trying to make about the way in which 
this particular conflict in the Middle East is trapped in a sort of spiral of violence of which there is no way out, really. Yeah, you know, a great scene, actually, that just, that sort of uh, nails that for me, that whole uh, idea, is when the scene where they do a raid on the house and they accidentally, they kill one of the women in the house that's an innocent bystander, and they're about to shoot one of the younger men in the house, like he looks like about teenage age, and Eric Bana sort of stops them from shooting him, but immediately, you know, he's looking at his two parents that were just shot and killed, and you think to yourself... Well, there's the future terrorist. Like it, it's a very easy, like small scene that just shows this is exactly why this continues. Even more so for me than the scene where he talks to the um, the PLO leader that uh, they're staying with, and they have that conversation about like why he's, you know, so headstrong and and his mission. This film uh, ran into some controversy from the fact that the moral debates and quandaries that the characters in this film didn't actually sort of occur amongst the the team of hitmen who were carrying out these assassinations and and also in the fact that actual events that did occur in this uh, set of uh, events that inspired this film weren't included in this film and now uh, you know i can perhaps see why spielberg chose to eliminate those elements in terms of those kind of the dream the story that he wants to present but then throws up a lot of questions about well what manipulating kind of historical events to make a political point at what point do you draw the line between sort of saying yes this is a this is a historical drama and actually this is just a drama where you know i've invented and created things within it I'm okay with a story being, you know, not really at all like where it comes from or there being inaccuracies. As long as they're choosing to try to convey an interesting story or an interesting message, I think as long as as you're telling something interesting and it's something for you to think about, which I think this movie does do a pretty good job doing, it does leave something for the viewers who maybe didn't have any stake in the game before that and now they're thinking about not only – this conflict in particular, but maybe the larger picture of just fighting violence with violence and war and the nature of terrorism and how we react to it. And I think by by opening that, di- like he did a decent job opening the dialogue to think about it and discuss it more. I think the thing that this film gets sort of the most criticism for is the omission of the, the murder of a, a waiter, I think, in Norway. Uh, who was Moroccan, who was mistakenly identified as one of the terrorists and uh, was killed by the the sort of the real life team of assassins. And that doesn't feature in this film at all. But I seem to think it's a fairly logical decision for Spielberg to actually remove that from the film, because had they included that in the film, I think Eric Banner's character, he would have, he would have just quit, I think, at that point. He set those characters up to have moral, to be questioning their mission. And if they realized actually they've killed somebody, an innocent person, I, I think, you know, they would have just jacked it in and, you know, the movie yeah. couldn't have progressed. Yeah, I, I agree. And I, and I think, I still think they do a, a good job with, at least to me as a viewer, when there were, and there were innocent people that were killed during, the rest of the events of the film. And when that happens, it still carries a ton of weight, I thought, um, because you know, like, that's, I, by, by giving them their rules in the beginning, that, that is like one of the one rules they're not supposed to break. And then, 
like whenever it happens, it seems like very heavy and then you get to see how the group dynamic handles it. That's fine. But like you said, if they had included, I think this one event and it would have been like much more of a loud staple to like what they were doing was being wrong. Yeah, and I think it would have taken away from the point that Spielberg was was trying to make, I think, ultimately with this film. Um, but I think one of the more sort of interesting sort of moments in the film is actually when Banner and his team go to assassinate a woman who the uh, Black September terrorist group have kind of got to, hired to kill one of Eric Banner's team of assassins. And sort of Eric Banner and his men then go to retaliate against the retaliation to their retaliation and I think that moment in the film is probably one of the most powerful and effective moments about sort of showing that endless cycle that just sort of feeds on itself. Absolutely because that's I mean that's like a direct you know they're now they're going out of their way basically for vengeance essentially um with the which that scene by the way is very jarring too the the way she dies and the decision to co- leave her covered slash uncovered. And then they have a discussion about it later. But um, that whole sequence is, I think a big mirror up to them at that point. And then you got to get to see how the three members that were there, how they're dealing with that now and, and what they're thinking about what they're doing and if it's right or if it's wrong. As you've already mentioned, this is a very long film. I mean, do you think it needs to be this long? I've wrestled with this question myself. I see why it is, and and it seems like one of those instances where I could see Spielberg reading the project, getting into it, diving in, and being fascinated, and wanting to really go through all those motions and, and display everything. I think it does have a bit of a drag with, oh, I don't remember, Lewis, I think his name yeah. is? Yeah. They're like li- liaison, they're getting like possibly shady, not sure information from. When they're at the house, that scene is pretty long, but... If I think if you're in the right frame of mind, it's not going to necessarily go by slow. I actually did think up until that point where they got to the house, it was breezy and like it went much quicker than I was anticipating. So that was good. I think the length of this film is a partly a product of the fact that it is based on true events. And so they have to show enough of those true events in order to be in any way sort of doing justice to the history of it. Also, and not only that, but not only just the inclusion, but in an effort to make them, to keep them like serious and grounded and not feel like, um, you know, like, like a Borden style thriller where it's like action. Like, it, I don't think he wants this to seem like this is your action thriller you should be watching. So he needs to take all those scenes, which are very powerful and action packed scenes, most of them. He wants to give them sort of their due diligence and make them feel serious so when something's happening you care about the violence and it's not just like a passing glance like oh an an explosion oh someone was shot it needs to feel real or it needs to at least feel like it has weight to the rest of the story so that's another thing that's going to add to the time and and add to the the end runtime there aren't really any sort of stars among the cast here however there are sort of a lot of familiar faces among cast Uh, who stood out for you either good or bad I don't do well with accents. I admittedly can't pronounce things in my own native language very well. <laughs> but I was like a little confused on Jeffrey Rush. I didn't understand his accent. I didn't know. It seemed like the British accent came through a lot. And I don't know if that was on purpose. But I also didn't know like maybe he was part Brit. Like, 
you know, Eric Bana is supposed to be a German dis- of German descent. So maybe, you know, he doesn't have to sound as spot on as everyone else. Um, and then you have Daniel Craig, who's from South Africa. So, okay, his accent sort of makes sense. But Jeffrey Rush was confusing to me. And I, I like Derek Bana. I think he kind of gets a bad rap. I don't think he's too terrible of an actor. Yeah, I think he's pretty good in this, to be honest. Uh, I think it's it's definitely one of his better performances. And I would agree with you about the the accents in this in this film, though. Uh, you know, Jeffrey Rush. I I really don't know what he was trying for with his uh, his voice and accent. And also, you know, Daniel Craig's South African sort of uh, it comes and goes a bit, sort of like trying to uh, tune a radio station in. I sometimes find actors doing accents, unless they can do it really well, they just shouldn't sort of really bother. And, yes. uh, you know, Sean Connery, you know, had a very long and distinguished career playing all sorts of nationalities, Russians, Spaniards, Irishmen, even Moroccan Tuaregs, never doing anything other than a Scottish accent. And nobody really, nobody really seemed to mind. So. Yeah, no, I agree. I guess, uh, you know, I'm sure actors want to challenge themselves, but it does not always work out in the long run there. I don't know what you thought, though, about some of the other members of uh, Eric Banner's kind of hitman team here, but they seem to be a little bit underwritten, and yeah. some of them seem to really sort of be getting by on the kind of the, like the charm of the actors. Like, you know, Kieran Hines is, is one of these people who, you know, he's just got a kind of effortless sort of class and authority and he along with some of the other members really of sort of Eric Banner's team he's pretty much a he's pretty much a blank but because of his kind of charm really as an actor you don't really that doesn't come to bother you too much yeah I'll I'll definitely agree with that 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 still goes back to my main concern of their treatment of like why they were assembled and I don't know if this was like me getting hung up on a weird detail but I was very I was like, how plausible is this that they're putting these guys together? Because they, the only talk they, I mean, they have about it is, I think Daniel Craig mentions like, well, what do you do? What do you do? Oh, none of us have any skills. But yet they're immediately able to sort of, you know, formulate these plans and they're all different. None of them are really the same. So I was slightly confused about all their backgrounds, but I guess I just had, I had to go with it after the first, you know, half hour. Yeah, I think you make a good point about kind of who these characters are and how they came to be assembled. And I think we probably just need to accept that really in terms of the kind of the drama of the film, because, you know, why a lot of these guys, you know, they spend all a lot of this time essentially kind of doubting what they're doing. And you kind of think, why on earth would a government assemble a team of assassins who are just a bunch of, you know, procrastinating, um, you know, self-reflective moralists yeah. rather than a rather than a team of people who are completely cold-blooded have no conscience and will just sort of get on with the get on with the business uh, business at hand and yeah you know, that's not going to make a, a terribly interesting movie and uh won't allow spielberg to make any any particular point like you said i think it was kind of necessary for this story he wanted to tell Okay, we're going to take a quick break to hear from another Land Podcasting Network show, and after that, we'll be back to talk about the exploding helicopter action. MovieMavericks.com Broadcasting current box office breakdowns, movie news and reviews. Now for your hosts, Jason and Trevor. Hey now, even though we're over 200 episodes deep into the Movie Mavericks podcast, it's still not too late to start listening. 
where every show we give you 10 truths, 20 lies, and a bunch of Hollywood secrets. It's like existentialism slipping into nihilism. MovieMavericks.com We're back, and now we're going to be looking at the exploding helicopter action in this film. And after completing his mission, Banner returns home to the loving embrace of his wife, but he's haunted by the Munich massacre and the murders he's subsequently committed. Bizarrely, this repressed trauma suddenly surfaces whilst he's having some rumpy-pumpy with his wife. And as Banner is getting on with the job, so to speak, he has a flashback to the massacre at the airport. We see the hostages and the terrorists aboard a helicopter they've been given to fly out of the city. As the sequence develops, the action cuts between Banner's increasingly sweaty thrashings and a gun battle that's now broken out between police and the terrorists. The scene reaches its, and I apologise for this, climax, both for Banner and the exploding helicopter fan as a terrorist uses a grenade to blow up the chopper Lindsay, what on earth did you make of this first of all rumpy pumpy that's great i <laughs> say that at some point in my life well he i did make that he was so sweaty so sweaty she was she should have been concerned a lot earlier <laughs> um that like out of that i did actually enjoy that sequence and i didn't think it was you know too over the top with <laughs> The cutting, besides that, like, herbal essence, like, hair flip, like, the, the sweat <laughs> flip, I couldn't handle. I was like, no, 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 why was that in there? It should not have been in there. But it is a pretty harrowing scene, and they had been leading up to it. You get these snippets of it, so it is rough at the end there to kind of get the full picture of how everything culminated. And, I don't know, it was a good, was a good helicopter exploding. <laughs> <laughs> But is that hair, you, I, couldn't get, is, I could not get over that, like, sweaty mist hair flop thing. I was like, really? That was a lot. I mean, it was just excessive. It was a lot. It was sweat. a lot of sweat. A and lot she, of sweat. And I get it. Like, he's having an issue, right? You know, he's <laughs> having problems. So I get that he's overworked up. But then they, like, also pan to her at, right after that. And she's, like, pristine. Like, she looks great. <laughs> and I'm like, I guess that he was just flipping it away from her. That's what it was. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, uh, Eric's on top here, so he's doing, he's doing most of the work. <laughs> oh. And maybe he's not, maybe he's not as, uh, maybe he's not as fit as he should be, but, um, yeah. I mean, it is a ridiculous, I completely agree with you. It's like a ridiculous amount of, uh, of, of sweat, uh, at that moment. And it's really, you know, you do sort of wonder about the sort of directorial decision to, yeah, we want this much, we want this much sweat. And, you know, we don't just want a little bit, we want a lot. It seemed inappropriate because it looked so comedic within that moment. It looked like, it just looked absurd that he was that. And I think he was just trying to say, oh, he's like having a really rough time. Like clearly this is like the sweat's not just from the sex. Like he's also got these mental things going, but we didn't need that. Like I knew that because I mean, we're watching the same film he's making. So, whew. What did you think about the decision to uh, intercut these two sequences, the, the sequence of the, the kind of the gun battle and ultimately the exploding helicopter with uh, with his scene of uh, lovemaking with his with his wife? Because, you know, he could plausibly have, I don't know, just been sitting out on his porch and having this flashback sequence. You know, he could have been doing any, he could have been in the shower. He could have been doing anything else. But they decided to intercut it with uh this scene with between him and his wife and i don't really i, I struggle to think that of any good reason to to do that i don't know if, if you 
had a thought from having watched the film? Well, what I got from it was they they bookend it. So you have the sex scene uh, with them earlier when she's pregnant. And I think this is supposed to just sort of illustrate that, like, clearly they have, like, a very healthy relationship. <laughs> no, seriously. Like, still, like, they're still, like, you know, in love and, and having this sexual relationship, even though, like, she's pregnant and some some people maybe would be like turned off. I don't know. I don't know what that, I think it was just saying like, Oh, before he leaves, like they're, they're still healthy and in love. And then here, I think he decides to do it during intercourse because one, it's like, okay, clearly he's been missing his wife, right? Like he calls her right after he sees the the woman in the bar and, 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 you know, he's having these crises of uh, what he's doing, these morality crises. So he goes back and what should be like a very joyous like moment for him that's like all about her is now all of a sudden, you know, he can't shake these terrible things that have happened to him. And maybe it's also just sort of intrinsically tied to like his like animalistic instincts. <laughs> so it's like thinking of like violence while he's like thinking about rumpy pumpy. You know? <laughs> there you, there you go. You've used it already. <laughs> it's part of your vocabulary. My bucket list. <laughs> and sort of perhaps moving moving away from uh, from uh, Eric Banner's contribution to uh, this scene. Um, what did you uh, make of the actual explosion uh, of the uh, helicopter? I thought it was great. I thought that it was a little bit overkill because it seemed like he already got rid of everybody in that plane before he dropped that grenade in there and went onto the other plane. But I mean, you, you got to do what you got to do, I guess. And it was just in general that whole scene was a pretty rough watch. Yeah, there's a lot of death and mayhem in uh, in that scene, and you know, always good to see a helicopter explode in a uh, and also in a scene which actually has some emotional sort of power and resonance. Often we see exploding helicopters in scenes which are they're there just really for our pure visceral entertainment and enjoyment, whereas whereas here we sort of see, we're seeing one with. Which actually is making a kind of serious point, and we're we're not averse to uh, being, uh, uh, you know, a few moments of education uh, when we're watching a, a chopper fireball. Well, I think that just about wraps things up for this show. Lindsay, thanks for coming on and uh, joining me to talk about Munich. Anytime, thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed listening to the show. Don't forget to check out the Exploding Helicopter website. Alternatively, you can keep up with us on Facebook, Twitter and Tumblr. We'll be back soon, but until then, keep watching the skies for those exploding helicopters. This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.